This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 3rd of March. And Norman, we're already more than a week into our vaccine rollout here in Australia, which makes us old hands at it now. But there were reports over the past few days that Australia hasn't quite met the targets that it was expecting to in terms of numbers of vaccinations delivered in this first week. And we've got a pretty big target for October as being sort of the end of the rollout or the end of the first big phases of the rollout. What are some of the issues that have cropped up? I mean, it's such early days, it feels a little unfair to start critiquing the performance when we're only a week in. But what are some of the issues that have been identified as maybe slowing us down a bit so far? Well, there's clearly been a major series of hiccups with the Commonwealth rollout in aged care. As we've been saying in Coronacast, um, in fact, the main game is border workers, airport workers, flight crew and hotel quarantine workers. And what we should be doing, but we're not, is immunising their families and households. So that's the main game, securing our borders and doing that hyper quickly. And you've really got to do that with a Pfizer vaccine because it's going to take you 12 weeks to complete it with the Astra and it's not going to be as good coverage with the, with the, um, with the new variants possibility. So there's been a hold up in aged care because the Commonwealth doesn't run anything, doesn't have its own services, therefore they've got to contract this out. They probably should have contracted it to the states, but they've given it to private providers and there have been hiccups which have been well publicised. So it's going to take the Commonwealth a bit of time to get their act together. And also, um, you know, some of the states have been a little bit slow. So it's a combination of supply of vaccine, but also, as Marion Kaner implied yesterday, the bookings haven't gone quite as quickly as they imagined and they could cope with more bookings. Um, And I think there's been a hint of that in some other jurisdictions. So people have got to come forward when they're booked and have that. But around the world, there has been a problem with people not turning up for bookings. People don't turn up for their appointments. And that means that you've got to have a system in place where you've got people on standby, people that you can text to say, we've got doses over. Can you come in at five o'clock and unexpectedly get your vaccine? So we saw we we heard the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian yesterday criticising the maybe lack of communication between the states and federal government. Is there improvements that could be made there? Probably, and the minister obviously sought fit yesterday to have a press conference, which is probably in part induced by the New South Wales Premier having criticised the federal government for not being clear with the doses and how they're going to arrive. I mean, I think that some of the surprise here is that they've had a long time to develop this and it's still not clear how the next phases are going to be rolled out, how people are going to be told, what the booking system is going to be like. Um, GPs are still not clear how they're going to work into it. They've had their letters saying they've been accepted as a, as a centre for you know, their practice to deliver vaccines. But even then, the PHNs, primary health networks, are often not clear whether or not the 4,600 practices are indeed the ones that will end up doing it. So there's a fair bit of uncertainty. Another area of uncertainty is that Therapeutic Goods Administration is stopping doctors commenting on the relative efficacy of vaccines because they're calling it advertising, saying, well, if I've got the Pfizer vaccine, come to my practice. I think that's what sits behind that. There's a lot in flux. We'll get our act together. We're a good immunising country. People will come forward. It's just that we don't want to lose momentum.
Well, of course, we've got plenty of questions from our audience about vaccination and and different vaccines. We had someone saying, how do you make sure that vaccine doses aren't wasted and thrown away at the end of the day? Because this is something that we've heard of happening, not just in Australia, but also overseas. This is where what I mentioned earlier comes in, which is that you have a backup list standbys um, and you are able to phone people or text them to say we're going to have spare doses at the end of the day can you come in and have them and that's what they did in Israel very successfully that's what they do in some parts of America but not all in fact one doctor got into trouble in America in the United States for doing that and being very efficient with the doses and was suspended from the immunization regime that's not going to happen here Um, we all want the most efficient use of the existing doses of the vaccine. So so nothing's wasted. And we've got Steve asking about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which has just been approved for use in the United States. It's a single dose. Um, what do we know about that? It's a viral vectored vaccine. So it is a bit like the Astra vaccine in terms of technology. So in other words, it uses an adenovirus, which is a cold, a common cold type virus, which has been neutered, it's not going to do you any harm, but it allows the cells to be infected with that virus and it's been engineered to carry in a genetic message into the cell to produce part or all of the spike protein. So that's what the Johnson & Johnson one does, it's what the Astra one does and it's what the Sputnik V vaccine does. The difference is that the Johnson & Johnson is a single dose. The evidence is that it's a bit more effective than the Astra vaccine, not a lot, but a bit. Remember Remember, these trials were done before variants entered. But in the United States, I think it was about 70% effective. In Britain, it was about 60-odd percent effective. And in South Africa, 50-odd percent effective with a South African variant. So it's an effective vaccine, but less effective than the mRNA vaccines. I think what's turning out from this is that the viral vectored vaccines aren't as high-performing as a group as the mRNA vaccines. But it's, it's a single dose, it's easy to handle, it doesn't require the deep freeze of the mRNA vaccines. So it's much easier to handle a single dose, which means you get through the population much faster. Will we get it in Australia, do you think? Late last year, John Skerritt mentioned, can't remember exactly where, that the, um, they had already received some data on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine into the TGA. I think there's a, an application a foot if that still exists or if that data if they're still submitting data on an ongoing basis but we haven't done a commercial deal with Johnson and Johnson yet to provide that vaccine it's another vaccine that we might choose if they're quick to produce a, a, a version of the vaccine that deals with the, the South African variant. The problem with the Johnson & Johnson one is that they have had trouble with manufacture, as indeed has the Novavax vaccine. Um, so it's fine to even say, even if we had had an arrangement with them, we might not be getting supplies anyway. We've got Candace asking a question that relates to a lot of people who've been writing in. It's around pregnancy. Candace works in hotel quarantine. She's actively trying to get pregnant and she's been offered the Pfizer vaccine next week, but she's not sure whether she should have it. It's just in case she's already pregnant, but it's too early to know, or by the time she gets the second jab, you know, she could be pregnant. Is it safe for her to get it? It's not approved for use in pregnancy because it hasn't been fully tested in pregnant women. But there's now a lot of experience in the United States of giving it to pregnant women, and it doesn't seem to be inducing miscarriages or that sort of thing. Whether there's a long-term effect, we don't know. But the risk, according to Tony Fauci, is that the risk is low in pregnancy. That's the judgment they're making in the United States, but it's not officially approved because the evidence doesn't exist. So it's a good point. It'd be nice to be immunised, particularly if you're in hotel quarantine, maybe hold off trying to be pregnant 
while you're immunised. It's only going to take three or four weeks with the Pfizer vaccine and then you can get back on the job, so to speak. <laughs> and Tracy's saying, um, why do we keep saying the next pandemic? Where's the evidence for that statement? Well, the evidence for that statement is, um, and I could go on a long time about this because you know, I made a series about this in 1990 predicting the next pandemic. You're only a couple of decades too early, Norman. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm always ahead of the curve. <laughs> so the, um, animals are throwing off new viruses, particularly bats, but other animals too are throwing off viruses all the time. They're mixing vats, if you like, for new viruses, particularly bats. So they're throwing off viruses all the time that can infect human beings. We are encroaching on wild animals' territory and therefore more and more exposed, particularly in overcrowded, overpopulated countries. And But it's happened here too. It's happened with um, you know the infamous... A virus that spread from bats to horses and from horses to the horse train of Rick Rail, uh, a pretty deadly virus. So that was a you know, that was a new virus in Australia. So these things are happening all the time. And as world population increases, and as we encroach on areas where we're not not, not normally in contact with certain animals, we are likely to pick up viruses that are either have been around for a while and are re-emergent, or new viruses altogether. And flu is the big one. So we, there's, we're still in for a big flu pandemic, even though there was a smallish one in 2009. That can happen anytime. Yeah, it's demoralising, but it's a reality. And just before we go, I've got some nice feedback from Felicity to share. Thanks, Felicity, for writing in saying, uh, great Corona cast on Monday, the 1st of March. Also really inter- enjoyed the interview with John Skerritt, who of course is from the Therapeutic Goods Administration. Felicity says, CoronaCast shouldn't shy away from the critical review of the vaccine rollout for fear of stoking vaccine hesitancy or any other reason. These episodes were particularly good. Thanks, Felicity, and thanks to all of you for listening. Yeah, your checks are in the mail. (laughs) We'll see you tomorrow. Yep, and don't forget, if you've got a question or comment, go to abc.net.au slash coronacast and mention coronacast when you ask a question or make a comment, and we will get them eventually. See you tomorrow. See you then.